Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. That's what we claim today, don't we? He came to fix our broken lives. Listen, Jesus is the only thing can fix it. Amen. You can try to do all kinds of things yourself, but the Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto man. The end thereof is destruction or ruin. I don't want my way. I want his way. Amen. Because his way leads to life and that everlasting. Hallelujah to that. So we thank the Lord for uh, sending Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be saved. That's why we're here today. <laughs> it's the only reason why we're here. If Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead, we might as well go home. Right? We're just wasting our time. We could have slept in this morning. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. But uh, maybe we could have slept in this morning. Well, it's good to uh, be able to see moms in the audience. And I'm going to ask moms one more time. We want to recognize you. If you'd stand this time. Can I have all the moms in the house stand? Please stand. All the moms, stand. Amen. Thank you. While you're standing, don't sit yet. While you're standing, I want to pray for you. And uh, so all moms, please stand. Come on. Stacy, you got to stand. You're a mom, Stacy. Amen. Life begins at conception. We believe that, no doubt. We celebrate life. Amen. So you're a mom. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we're mindful today. Lord, of your great love for us, that you would send us moms. Thank you, Lord, that I had a beautiful mother in my life who impacted me in such tremendous ways. And Lord, I miss her terribly. And God, I just pray for those in the house today who who know that their moms are in heaven today. And God, they miss them terribly. I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, I pray for those moms like Stacy, Lord, who have babies waiting in heaven, that you would comfort them today. Because, Father, uh, what a beautiful thing to know that we're going to go to heaven and see children that are waiting on us there. God, there's some in the house, moms, whose hearts have been broken. Their children have passed since they've been here on earth. God, we just pray for them today, that they would know of your comfort and of your grace. God, there's all kinds of, Lord, joyous times, but, Lord, there's also hurt hearts here today. And I pray through the message, Lord, through Hannah's life, her example, that, Father, we would find comfort in the midst of the tears in the midst of the heartache. But that, Father, we would also celebrate the beautiful, Lord, institution that you have given us of motherhood. Lord, I'm thankful that you put women here to be moms on the earth. I'm thankful for the mother of my children, my helpmate, Lord. What a beautiful woman she is, Lord, from the outside, Lord, but also beautiful spiritually on the inside. And I thank you for her godly influence in our family. And Lord, I just thank you for the God influence of all these moms today. So bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we're doing a series of messages that I've entitled Character Sketches, and we've been looking at some Old Testament characters and trying to learn a few things from their life. We're going to let the children slip on out to Children's Church. I think we forgot about that. So uh, we'll let the children go to Children's Church. So be a little disruption for a minute as you watch them run out. I know nobody pays attention to the preacher when the kids are in the front, so. 
been working on a series of messages and called Character Sketches. And today, being Mother's Day, I want to look at a mother in the Bible. And you've probably, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard a sermon from the life of this lady named Hannah. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find Hannah, a woman who prays in faith. Now, I wish I had time to read every verse in 1 Samuel 1 this morning, and really 1 Samuel 2 is where you find her story as well. But I don't have time to read all those verses this morning, uh, and I don't have time to preach all those verses this morning, so I can't unpack the full story. But let me just sort of bring you up to date as we've been doing on a lot of these characters, just sort of bringing you up to speed historically so that you understand who they are. Hannah's story finds itself at the beginning of 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And that story is a transitional story in the Bible because what you find is that there is a transition from a period of time called the judges to a period of time where we had the prophets. And, and her story is right smack in the middle of that transition. Now you say, that's not very important to me. Well, it should be important because out of Hannah's prayer is going to come God's answer. And God's answer to her prayer is one of the greatest men that you will read about in the Old Testament. His name is Samuel. And Samuel is just a great guy. We'll talk more about Samuel in a minute. So you have this backstory of the story begins with Hannah, who is married to Elkanah. And Elkanah is a guy who's godly. The Bible says that every year that he would take his family and they would go to Shiloh where the tabernacle was and they would go up to sacrifice and to worship God. And when he would go up, he would take Hannah with him. But the Bible says twice in verse five and verse six that Hannah did not have any children because God had closed her womb. Now we're gonna talk about that towards the middle and the end of the sermon. So just hang on to that thought for a minute because it's important that you understand she was childless up to this point. As she would travel to Shiloh with Elkanah and also with Penua, which is his other wife. Now think about that. So God doesn't endorse uh, this polygamy, but here we have it in the Bible. There's this man married to two wives, most likely because Hannah was barren. And so he wanted offspring. That was very important, very crucial, very key in the time in which they lived. And so they had this, there's some kind of reverb or something. Am I getting it only up here? Are you getting it out there? But it just keeps like ringing after I speak. So probably because of my big mouth. But anyway, and so um, it's better. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate that. And so they would go up and they would go to worship. Well, here's the problem. When they would go up to worship, they would sacrifice the sacrifice. And then as the Bible would di- dictate that they do, they would share the meal together. And when they would sit down to share the meal, Elkanah would take the meal and he would give to Penua and her children their portions. But then the Bible says, it's bad. I don't know what is going on. It's, it's just crazy. Uh, maybe because I'm standing too close to this monitor. Let me see. We can change it. Sorry, y'all, that it's doing that. I know it's probably annoying when you hear it reverb back. But when you begin to think about the storyline, though, here she is. She goes up and he gives to his first wife her portions. And then the Bible says that because she was barren, because God had closed her womb, her husband felt sorry for her. He loved her. And he wanted her to know, listen, it doesn't matter whether you have given me children or not. I love you. And so he would give her a double portion. So a double portion of food. So she was blessed. 
But it still didn't help. And the reason why it didn't help is because, first of all, think about the opposition that she's in. She's in opposition with the, this other wife who's had kids. She hasn't had any children. And so this other wife makes it very difficult on her. So every time the food would be dispersed, the other woman would begin to harass her. And in her harassment, that would make Hannah be where she didn't really want to eat. Well, that's pretty clever of the enemy, isn't it? And so she would be harassed. But I want you to think too that there is a stigma that is in her life. The stigma is that in the time in which they live, if a woman did not bear a child, it was like a curse. It was like God was punishing her. Add to the fact that we're told in verse 5 and 6 that God closed her womb. Can you imagine how Hannah must feel? And so she's downcast. She's hurt. She's very deeply wounded by this other woman. And so the Bible says that after they finished eating, after dinner was over, she went to where she could find some help. She went to the house of God to pray to the Lord God. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't know if I got all the answers, but I know one who does. I don't know what your pain may be this morning. I know what hers was because I read about it in the Bible. But wherever you may be, I'm here to tell you, God is ready to listen. Amen? And we find in the storyline a woman of faith who goes and she prays in faith to this God whom she loves. Now, it's very interesting that when she prays, the words that she uses as she prays to God is addressing God as not just Yahweh, but also addressing him more importantly, not just as his covenant keeping, but as a God who is in charge or the Lord of the armies. He is a powerful God. So she believes that he's not only the God who keeps covenants, but he is also a God who can change her circumstance. Can I ask you a question? Can God change your circumstance? He certainly can. And she realized that. And so she goes to God and she begins to pray. And what I want to do this morning is I sort of want to dissect her prayer a little bit and begin to talk about her prayer, how God answers that prayer. And then we'll sort of leave Hannah on a a different note than when we find her. We won't find her at the end of the story grieving. We find her worshiping. We find her celebrating. And so take your Bible, begin to look with me, beginning in verse 8, and let's see what the text has to say. Chapter 1 of Samuel, verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? (laughs) And so he He said, come on, sweetheart, I love you and I love you with all my heart. I've been taking care of you. I show favor to you. You know, is this not enough? Well, you know, let's just be honest, guys. We wish we were all that our wives needed, amen? But but wives, women want to be moms, amen? And they love children and they have that instinct in them to want to nurture children. Now, I realize that's, that's a generality, okay? I realize that we read stories all the time about women who don't love their kids like they should, don't take care of their children like they should. I realize that's, the, that's, a, that's a general statement I'm making, but in a general reality of the situation, women have this nurturing instinct inside them to take care of children. And so, guys, if you're married and you've got children, realize that your children are going to be a very huge part of your wife's life. Amen? I mean, they are. Our kids are grown and... One of the things I found out, they used to call me. Now they don't call me anymore. They call mom. 
And so I've been sort of kicked to the curb, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I just hope that later in life, you know, that uh, when I'm old and decrepit, they'll remember me, you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> you, uh, you look at her life and she's, she's hurting, but she's got a husband who loves her. But notice what Hannah does. So Hannah, verse 9, arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, that seems like a very insignificant statement. But I want you to underline that statement because it's very crucial and key to what God is doing in this storyline. See, remember that God is always doing something bigger. God has always got an overarching plan from these lives in the Bible. We look at their stories and think, man, that's just an awesome story. But God is overarching that plan. God is overarching that story because God wants to do something here. God wants to do something in the life of Hannah. But listen, God wants to do something bigger than Hannah. All right? So that's important. So Eli is sitting at the door and he's out there. And so verse 10 says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Here's Hannah's prayer. Listen, Hannah's prayer. I'm going to break it down to four things. Listen to verse 9 and 10. So she arose and she went. And what did she do? Verse 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. The first thing about her prayer I want you to write down is this. It was honest. She didn't sugarcoat it. She didn't go to God and say, hey, God, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. She didn't go to the God with generics. She didn't go to God and say, God, if there's some way you can just bless me with a kid, that'd be pretty awesome. I'd love to be blessed with a kid one day. That's not what she did. She went to God and she said, God, this is horrible. God, this is bad. God, my heart hurts. I'm in anguish and in torment. God, you, did you not see what Penua is doing to me? God, do you not know that I'm in anguish because of what she says and how she torments me? God, do you, do you not realize that you have closed my womb and I'm not able to have children? And God, do you realize the stigma that's involved with that in this time and age in which we live? Listen, she was honest. Can we be honest with God? I don't, I don't think we are a lot of times. I think when we go to God in prayer, you know, we try to sugarcoat it. We want to sound spiritual. We want to sound religious, David. And, and, and the reality is God knows exactly what's on your heart anyway. Right? God reads your heart better than you read your heart. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, I think there's times we don't even know our own hearts. But God knows our hearts perfectly. And so she comes to God and she just begins to pour her heart out to God and says, God, this is terrible. This is not the best situation for me. Life is not all roses right now, God. And so she was honest. But that's not all she was. The Bible says she was also earnest. Look in verse 11. The Bible says she was earnest. Then she made a vow and said, now, let me just parenthetically put something out here. We don't really understand what's happening here because we don't make vows to the Lord. What we like to do is bargain with God. She is not bargaining with God. She's not saying, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll go back to church. <laughs> I had a guy one time in the neighborhood in which I ministered who had a massive heart attack and went to the hospital to see him. And he said, preacher, if I ever get out of this hospital, I'm coming down to that church. He got out of the hospital. I haven't seen him yet. And so... Uh, he never came down there. He's bargaining. God, you get me out of this. God, you get me out of this. You know, so don't God, if you just let me win the lottery, I'll give that money to the church. <laughs> Nobody laughed. Come on now. That was a joke. 
But you see my point, right? We, we bargain. She's not bargaining with God. She's making a vow. She's making a covenantal promise. We know about vows when we talk about weddings. When people stand at the altar, a husband and wife stand before the preacher, stand before a congregation, and they make promises that I will love you to death do you part. That's a covenantal contractual agreement. Amen? You're saying I am making a promise that I will not break until we die. That I will love you in sickness and in health. I will love you for richer or for poorer. I will love you when you don't pick up your laundry or if you do, (laughs) right? We, We are making these promises. And so parenthetically understand that she's not bargaining. She's making a promise to God. She is promising God what? Notice the text. Oh, Lord of hosts, there it is. Lord of the armies, powerful God. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, And remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. She's saying, God, I'm going to make a promise to you. God, if you bless me with what I desire the most, listen, can you think anything more desirous in her heart than to have a kid? I just want a boy. I just want a baby, you know? You ever, you, guys, you remember when your wife had that baby fever? Talk about babies, 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 babies. She had baby fever. God, if you just give me a son, then here's what I'll do. The most pride, the most, most important possession, the most valued possession that she could ever receive from God, she is going to give it right back to God. Think about that. How hard is that? Listen, that's a promise. We sort of wonder, if we didn't know the rest of the story, does she keep it? Is that a promise you can keep? Of course, we know the rest of the story. But, but that's a huge promise. God, if you just bless me, that's earnestness, isn't it? God, if you just bless me, I will give the kid back to you. And this whole idea of no razor shall touch his head, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you begin to read about the Nazarite vow. That is, that he would be separated. When somebody made a, a Nazarite vow, first of all, they were supposed to make it themselves, not somebody make it for them. Second of all, it was for a period of time. It was just like, you know, I'm going to do it for this month or two months or a year, and that would be a period of time. And, and during that period of time, they would dedicate themselves, they would separate themselves from dead bodies, and they would separate themselves from any uh, grapes at all. They couldn't even eat grapes, couldn't drink anything from the vine. And so they would separate themselves. And it was for a time to dedicate themselves to the Lord. And here's what she's saying. She's saying, my boy will be under a Nazarite vow until he dies. That's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. Some debate and argue whether that happened or not. But she's saying, I'm going to dedicate him to God for all of his life. God, he belongs to you. He doesn't belong to me. Although you understand this is the greatest thing that she wants in her life. I mean, she wants a child bad. You realize that, right? So she prays not only honestly, but she prays earnestly. But that's not all that happens. If you look at the text of the next couple of verses, she begins to pray fervently. I mean, she's not stopping. Notice in verse uh, 12, it says, uh, and it happened as she continued praying. There it is, earnestly. She's praying before the Lord. But Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke, to her, uh, spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she was 
drunk. <laughs> Eli, looking across, seeing her pray, thought, this woman's intoxicated. This woman's been celebrating a little too much. Now she's in the house of God, and she's defiling the house of God because she's a drunkard. Now, why did he think that? Because notice what happens. She is so fervently praying. Her, her mind is so focused on giving God her petition that it's just her lips that are moving. She's not even praying audibly aloud. Now, you ever been there? You ever just pray silently? But have you ever been in such fervent prayer that you just begin to mouth it? You're not really saying the words audibly, but you're just beginning to mouth. I've been in those places before where you just begin to just pour out your heart before God. And you're not even really speaking. You're just pouring your heart out. Your lips are moving and you're saying in your heart and your mind the same thing. And you're giving it to God because there's this great need upon your heart and you have to give it to the one that you know can do something about your situation. And so she's praying fervently. She didn't stop. And so Eli, the great man of God, who should have, by the way, been taking care of his own household and didn't, this man of God thought that she was a drunkard. And so he approaches her and says, hey, you're drunk. Why are you acting this way? And she says, I'm not drunk. My heart's heavy. I'm grieving and I'm giving God my petition. I'm praying and I'm seeking God because I know that only God can help me. And, and we notice in the text that what she finds through prayer is joy. Notice in verse 17, then Eli answered. So she defends herself. And then she says, Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel, that's what Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went, here it is. Look, the women went away and ate. Remember, she didn't eat before because she's too heavy hearted. She went and ate and her face was no longer sad. What does her prayer do? Her prayer changed her heart. She found help. Are you sad today? Are you downcast? Are you discouraged? Do you feel like all is lost? Do you feel like there's no hope? Pray. Pray. Because what did, what did she find in prayer? The Bible says she went there downcast, her face sad. She was anguished and grieved. But listen, the Bible says she left and she found food and she ate. In other words, she celebrated in the feast. And then the Bible says her face, her countenance had changed. Now we find her smiling. We find a little pep in her step. We find a little joy in her relationships. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. One prayer can do all of that. It did in her life. One lady asking God to do something in faith that only God can do. And here the priest of God says, may it happen as you prayed. May God give you your petition. So what does God do? Well, the rest of the story, God answers her prayer. And if you look at the text, we don't have time to look at all the verses. Slip down and look at verses 19 and 20. Then they arose, talking about this family, arose in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And they returned and came to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord, now notice verse 20. And the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time. Didn't happen immediately. Didn't happen the next day. We're told in the process of time. We don't know how long that was. But in the process of time. So mark off the calendar. Maybe she's thinking, well, maybe in the next couple of days I'll get pregnant. 
Maybe in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks. We're not told how long it is. She waits upon God though. And it says in verse 20, and so it came in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, or Samuel saying, because I have asked for, for, uh, for him from the Lord. That's what his name means. Ask of the Lord. And so God answers her prayer. She gets a child. Now, can I just remind you that there is a sovereign work of God that's at work here. God closed her womb. Now God opens her womb. Now let me just put a disclaimer out there again because I don't want us to walk out here today and think everybody who cannot get pregnant, God's done something to them where they can't get pregnant. That's not the case. There is a special work of God that's taking place in this chapter. I want you to think about it with me for a minute. The nation of Israel at this period in the history, they have gone into a state of disarray. Spiritually, the nation has gone awry. We've had the period of judges where the people would begin to do what was right in their own eyes. And then the judges would come and judge them and they would sort of have this repentance. But then they would go right back into the muck and the mire again. And here the nation of Israel has gone into the muck and the mire. Listen, not only was it so bad with the people, but it was more importantly, it was bad with Eli and his family. His two sons were taking advantage of people. His two sons were dishonoring God through the sacrificial system. This is a bad day. And now the right time comes. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus being born at the exact right time. Here Samuel comes at the right time. God opens Hannah's womb at the right time. What time? For God to raise up a godly man in a time of desperate times of a nation with ungodliness and sinfulness going on. God wanted a man. God needed a man to come and to speak his word. And at the right time, God would have Samuel come into the world to be born. I'll tell you, folks, that's God's sovereignty. That's God's plan. So there is this overarching plan of God. Hannah is struggling, yes, but this overarching plan is God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a plan for the nation of Israel to bring his people back to himself. I want you to think about Samuel's ministry. If you don't know anything about Samuel, maybe we'll use him as one of our characters. But Samuel was a man who was not only served as a priest, but he became the prophet of Israel, the first of the great prophets. He would have the privilege of anointing the first king, Saul, appointing the second king, David. He was a man that the Bible says later in the text of 1 Samuel brought a national revival to Israel. He was a man that the Bible says in 2 Chronicles who stood up against all kinds of falsehood and deviousness and began to preach the word of God without hesitation. He didn't mind even pointing his finger at kings and telling the truth. He was a man for the hour and he came at the right time. The time that God would appoint for him to be there. God had a plan. And isn't it interesting that in the midst of Hannah's life and the anguish that she's going through and the trouble she's going through, we learn that God has a bigger plan. And maybe perhaps as we pray, as we begin to ask God to do something in the midst of our world, in our little plans and in our anguishes, maybe we can begin to ask God, God, what is your overarching plan? God, what is it that you want to accomplish? Whether it be through me or whether it be through something around me, God, what is it that you want to do? Because Hannah found out it wasn't all just about her. It was about God and what God wanted to do in the nation of Israel. Well, the question becomes, 
God answers her prayer. What does she do? Does she hold to the promise? The Bible says that every year they would go up once again to Shiloh and they would begin to worship. But Hannah stayed home, the Bible said. And Hannah said, when the little boy is weaned, now the little boy weaned for an Israelite would be three years of age. Now, ladies, I want you to think about something. When your child is three years of age, you travel to Shiloh, a different town, about 17 miles northeast of where you live, and you go up to Shiloh and you go in to worship. And while you're there worshiping, you're enjoying your company with your child. But then the day comes, you have to go back home and you have to leave the child there. How many of us can leave our three-year-olds? Now, don't get me wrong. There's sometimes you like to leave your three-year-old, amen? <laughs> We'd always say, you know, if we left our three-year-old somewhere, they would be calling us saying, come get this kid, right? But how many of us are willing to leave our three-year-old to the dedication of God? I want you to see in the text, she keeps her promise. Notice, slip down in verse 27 and 28. We don't have time to read all the verses in between. But notice what she says, verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I had asked of him. Therefore, notice her resolve. I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshiped the Lord there. Now, if you want the rest of the story, read in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and you'll find that they would still go up once a year, and she would take a, a linen robe and take it up and make it for him and take it up to him so that he could have this linen robe year after year. So she was involved yearly in his life, but for the most part, day to day, he was under Eli's control. He was under the mastery of God himself, and God would use this little boy, even as a little kid, to prophesy. It's amazing if you read the story. And so Hannah is a lady who says, I believe God can do. I believe God can do what I ask. I believe that God can do more than I ask. So she prays and she seeks the face of the Lord. And she finds there joy and answers. And God begins to do a work in the nation of Israel like none before. Listen, her sacrifice, we're told, in verse 24 was great. She brought more to the table than God required in the, in the law of Moses. But let me tell you what she gave. Even greater than the bulls that she would sacrifice, she gave her only kid back to Jesus. Now, ladies, that's tough, isn't it? To just leave your kid at the feet of Jesus. But let me tell you something. That's what God's calling all of us here to do today. If we got children, isn't that what dedication's all about? We give them to the Lord. We gotta entrust them to the Lord. Amen. Our children are a gift from God. They're a blessing to us and we get to enjoy them for a season. But if all my life, all I do is raise my kids just to be productive, good citizens in America, but never lead them to Jesus Christ, I failed my children. I failed my children. Because listen, more importantly than them having a good job, a good salary, Maybe someday a good family and a good retirement. I want to see them in heaven again. And so ladies and guys, let me tell you. Take your children. Pray with them. Encourage them. Teach them the word of God. Instruct them in the way of righteousness. So that when they are old, 
And I don't know when that is. They won't depart from it. Because listen, your greatest regret when you're dying is not gonna be, I wish I had more time to work. I wish I had more time to go fish. Your greatest regret is gonna be is I wish I spent more time with my kids. I wish I'd have gave them more of my spirituality. I wish I would have gave them more Jesus when I had the opportunity. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.